Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Activist Lawyer. I'm in the studio with Jack. Hello everybody. And we are joined by Green Party MLA for North Down, Rachel Woods. Hi Rachel. Hi, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. No problem. You had a, a bit of a morning getting here, but you made it. Definitely. <laughs> so just by way of introduction, uh, Rachel Woods is the Green Party MLA for North Down, as I mentioned, and is a member of the Justice Committee at Stormont. Rachel is a trained researcher and served on Ards and North Down Borough Council before becoming a member of the Legislative Assembly. Rachel is passionate about her local area, having grown up in Hollywood and still lives in the town. We just had a wee chat there about the lovely Hollywood. (laughs) And she takes a particular interest in helping people through the welfare reform process and in schemes aimed at reducing plastic pollution. She has recently introduced a private member's bill to establish a statutory provision for paid leave for victims and survivors of domestic abuse. All of that we'll touch on. Rachel, thanks coming in today. So um, again, activist lawyer, we've had so many different people on the show. We're one year today, so yeah, it's our our anniversary. anniversary. (laughs) So I forgot about that, but we had quite a few uh, people on uh, over the last 12 months. It's been fantastic from all different backgrounds, mostly practitioners, um, but also academics, activists and campaigners. So it's great to have you here today, a member of the Justice Committee and somebody who can maybe take us through how we get to the stage we're at in terms of development of important legislation, where we're at in Northern Ireland, and give us some insight into that. So I think it's very, very important to have you you here too. So um, just firstly, though, how did you get to where you are? <laughs> I mean, it, politics in Northern Ireland is probably a little bit daunting, but yet here you are. <laughs> I know, it's certainly not something that I thought that I would be getting into or be involved in. It wasn't certainly a dream that I had, say, from a, a child. You know, it's not, it wasn't on the career path uh, mapped out in the ah. head. But um, my background is hospitality, mm-hmm. so uh, it quite suits being in politics now. Um, really? Yeah, because you have to deal with people. Right. <laughs> so, and you have to be uh, listening to people and you have to sort of prioritise time and so on. But um, I suppose um, at university, it was really whenever I got involved into um, sort of activist politics and going to protests, mm-hmm. love a good protest, yep. um, and caring about social justice issues and it became more relevant and more important to me. Um, but my undergrad involved little bit of politics I did history and philosophy at Queen's and then I did a master's degree in terrorism and security so um, legal issues and political issues were obviously combined combined. Um, so it was very very political Um, but I was taught as part of that degree by um, a professor at Queen's called John Barry and he was a serving councillor for the Green Party in Ards and North Down Um, so I had done a little bit of work with the Green Party in terms of volunteering roles and then when the opportunity came to um, step in uh, to a council-related role. Um, as one of our councillors had to stand down for personal reasons, I thought I'm fed up screaming at the TV and um, I'd be annoyed that people yeah. in my area don't represent me. So like, go and do it, do just Very to take good. the chance. So yeah, um, yeah it was not wasn't a political family growing up, but we were certainly aware. Um, you know, I knew who Mo Molan was. She was somebody that was very important. I knew that the Good Friday Agreement was something that caused debate around my kitchen table, but certainly was not growing up in a political family, mm-hmm. and it was certainly not a path that I thought was going to take me. Um, 
to where I'm sitting here now but uh, whenever Stephen Agnew is my predecessor yes. in North Down he stood down actually two years ago a couple of weeks ago so it's my anniversary as well right. so anniversary month <laughs> um, so that was um, I was nominated by the, the constituency group then to take over from his seat so yeah, it's been a very whirlwind journey the last five years. I'd say so. And particularly, I know we've had a few chats before this. You've, there's always something going on. So there's never a, a kind of free period mm. for you. And I know there's so much to talk about, but I guess what we'll focus on was something that you and I had a chat about beforehand, which is your involvement in bringing forward legislation around the uh, Domestic Abuse and Family Proceedings Act now. So I wonder, could you take us through a little bit of that, maybe what spurred this piece of legislation on and maybe the various stages to where we're at now and maybe we could discuss a bit of the, the kind of content around it too that I think is important. No problem at all. So the domestic abuse, it was the Domestic Abuse and Civil Proceedings Act, um, or bill, sorry, it's now the Domestic Abuse and Family Proceedings uh-huh. Act. Um, so that was actually formulated by the previous Justice Minister, Claire Sugden, um, before the Assembly fell. So a lot of work had gone into getting that bill ready, getting the provisions ready, consultations with stakeholders and, and victims groups and so on. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the assembly fell right. and it was down for um, for three years. So this then was taken up by the current justice minister, Naomi Long, as um, her priority legislation. And rightfully so. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. It had been worked on for a very long time and it was an extremely important issue and an absolute disgrace that we didn't have specific um, legislation in Northern Ireland on domestic abuse and coercive control. So that was the first piece of legislation that was actually introduced to the Assembly whenever it came back, um, which was great to see uh, and that uh, getting priority. And then as a member of the Justice Committee uh, during a committee scrutiny period and scrutiny stage, um, that was my role then is to scrutinise sort of line by line bills. So the bills in Stormont come through First stage, then second stage, which is a debate on the principles of the bill, and naturally that passed. Um, I don't think anybody was turning around to no. say, no, sure. we don't need domestic abuse legislation mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland. And then it goes to the Justice Committee um, for, uh, as I say, line-by-line line scrutiny. So I took that rule very seriously, mm-hmm. and um, that's why I worked on a number of amendments to the bill. Yes. Um, we were successful in getting amendments agreed by a committee, uh, which was uh, meant that the committee brought forward amendments, but I also brought forward a number of my own as a private member so even though I was on that committee couldn't convince the committee to agree to all of them but mm-hmm. was able to put the uh, debate to the floor of the house so the ones that I was able to get on in my own name included um, uh, sort of listening to the children's rights groups and the children's voices groups um, and making sure that we had the same protection for children as they did in Scotland, um, and we also managed to um, change the legal aid set up here in Northern Ireland, yeah. which uh, caused a bit of a stir at the time. Um, but we have on the bill that in certain circumstances, victims of domestic abuse, um, despite their financial, uh, what it may look like on the surface, for example, yeah. in cases of child contact orders, that they would be um, we, they would be able to apply for a legal, legal aid, aid waiver. Right. Okay. Um, so it meant we what we were doing is really, really listening to victims uh, that were coming to us and coming to me, and you know I was talking to a lot of a lot of people who'd been through this and and how the courts are used as our arenas of of, of further abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if we're going to take financial abuse seriously, then mm-hmm. we can't just look at somebody who is say earning just over the threshold and yeah. say no. Well, you have to pay. 
Um, and if you're being continuously taken back to court on child contact, which is what a lot of people mm-hmm. are doing, um, that you should be financially liable for all of that because it's draining people. Absolutely. Literally draining people. So um, it, it wasn't exactly what I'd wanted at the start, but an amendment was put onto the bill and um, that was a consideration stage. Then again, a further consideration stage and passed final stage last year. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I mean, and when I th- does that come into effect then? So the provisions um, of the bill, the the, the, well, the act now, um, are being the regulations are being commenced by February twenty twenty two, and mm-hmm. that has been the re- most recent update from the department, um, which follows the same lines actually in Scotland. Once they introduced what the so called gold standard of domestic abuse legislation, it took a year to to implement, and that was to facilitate training and data collection and all those mm-hmm. sorts of the things. They they're not the things that grab the headlines, but the really important things. Um, so that's exactly what's happening here mm-hmm. as well. Um, there's training facilities been set up, um, mm-hmm. new data collection systems. And as soon as those regulations are commenced, that means that the uh, domestic abuse offence will then be commenced in Northern Ireland alongside the Section 28, as I call it, the, um, it's ingrained into my head, uh, which is the legal aid waiver as well. Fantastic. So in practice, I mean, it'll make a huge impact for survivors in, in that sense. Um, and I know that I work with Women's Aid, Arma Down and just chatting with uh, Eileen, the CEO in there and, and all this, the staff and the board were really scrutinising this as well and had, I think, given some um, responses as well to, to feed into that because obviously this is very important for them, those working in the area of support for survivors of uh, domestic violence and abuse to see this push through. So it's fantastic to be at the stage we're at. But as you said, a long, a long time coming and it was crucial crucial to get to this stage so um just in terms of that as well are there any gaps can we do more can you identify anything else that we might need to do to improve services and i'm thinking more around maybe the very um from reporting for example um you know to get to that stage where people aren't afraid to access justice because to report domestic abuse or sexual violence can be a very daunting experience and you know how can we break those barriers down here in Northern Ireland there's been lots of talk recently about you know um, institutions having a greater understanding of the victim's position and so is there any way we can really improve that? There's cer- certainly other gaps that we looked at um, during the domestic abuse and family proceedings um, bill what, and we, the committee looked at it as well and I tried to, to, to slot it in, in ter- but it didn't meet scope which was also to try and um, recognise domestic abuse as a workplace issue. So I started working on looking at introducing paid leave for victims of domestic abuse. Um, following on from where my it was Green Party MP in New Zealand who had introduced this. Um, so there's a couple of countries across the world that have this, and we're introducing trying to introduce safe leave. Where we're calling it so kind of the international term for it which um, hopefully would have 10 days of paid leave for victims and survivors of domestic abuse across Northern Ireland. And uh, we gladly passed first stage last week well and done. we're due for second stage in a couple of weeks' time. Fantastic. So we'll be having a big debate on the principles of the bill, but we're hoping to have uh, this, as I say, 10 days um, as a day one right as well. Um, so you wouldn't need to, to be working for a company or a business for any particular length of period of time. Ah, okay. And also it wouldn't... Um, you, you wouldn't have to prove 
uh, w- with police reports or anything like that. So trying to, 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 to change slowly that culture of belief as well mm-hmm. and introduce sort of flexible working policies because um, a lot of businesses have been doing this already. Um, Danske Bank have just introduced this mm-hmm. 10 days paid leave um, in March this year, which is brilliant. Uh, I think it's the first company in Northern Ireland to do it. Uh, Vodafone have been doing it as well and there's been a lot of push then from businesses and enterprise in England to have mm-hmm. this introduced as statutory. So hopefully we will um, we'll get this through the this assembly mandate but we're certainly pushing away at it that's a huge change and a really practical one and really important and you'd see maybe a domino effect there as well with businesses taking it up anyway but that's fantastic so there are still massive gaps even just in terms of the field of of domestic abuse so big one for me will be um rsa provision uh, which is relationship and sexuality education which is Mm -hmm. completely lacking in northern ireland absolutely and that for me is a fundamental flaw in the system and that we're not going to be able to get um, deal with these really awful societal and family and personal issues to deal with abuse and misogyny and treatment and consent and mm-hmm. reporting and all of those sort of things that, that come with relationships if we are not teaching children and young people totally agree. what is yeah. consent what you can say no to what a healthy relationship mm-hmm. looks like and this doesn't have to be teaching you know actual relationships between people this is talking about what is what is okay and what is not okay Mm -hmm. where the barriers and the boundaries are and all of those sort of practical things that people are just not taught like I was not taught this in school at all I had to label diagrams of anatomy that was not sexuality because it's one of those things that (coughs) people are afraid to speak about but it has to be spoken about when people are young and very often it is taught or there are courses at third level um, but that's it's too, too, late. Late. Yeah. too late, isn't it? So we would and have consistently called for mandatory and comprehensive RSE and also age appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it don't doesn't be, have to be yeah, going in. It can be age appropriate. Of mm-hmm. course it can. Um, my, my nephew is nine and, you know, my sister is teaching him age appropriate mm-hmm. um, sexuality education, what's happening with his body, what's going to, do you know. But we still have this stigma against talking about relationships and talking about what was traditionally seen in the private yeah. Um, and, and domestic abuse has always been, um, even in the media up until relatively recently, something that's, you know, at home. Yeah. That's behind closed doors. You don't talk about, oh, they're just having a domestic. No, that mm. that's not OK. So I think that feeds into um, a lack of RSA and a lack of being comfortable talking and raising issues publicly feeds into a lack of reporting mm-hmm. because people don't have confidence that their mm-hmm. issue or what's happened to them is going to either be taken seriously or people know about it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what was really important for me to continue throughout this process in domestic abuse. And I'm doing the same thing on the stocking bill as well, is Great. that um, we need to train everyone in the criminal justice system um, I remember having a, a conversation with the previous chair of the Justice Committee. He was like, well, do you want like the cleaner in PPS to have it? Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. I do. Because that person, everybody needs to have training and, and needs to know what domestic abuse is, yeah. what coercive control is, but specifically for the rollout of this new offence. Mm-hmm. We are legislating for something that has never been legislated before here in Northern Ireland and we were basing it on Scotland which was the, the gold standard and th- whenever I was speaking to the Chief Prosecutor as part of my work on um, developing amendments, the one thing that they said that was key in the terms of getting this gold standard rollout of, of legislation and getting um, getting it, you know, everybody understanding it was mandatory training of prosecutors. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that we can get, 
brilliant. Yeah. If that makes such a difference in Scotland, then why can't we have it here in Northern Ireland? And that's why it's on the face of the bill. Absolutely. And um, I appreciate that um, we can't legislate to mandate judges to be trained. I, I absolutely mm-hmm. get that in terms of the, the separation of powers. But I, I would absolutely recommend that Judicial Studies Board has this, that every new judge, everyone that comes through, um, it's not to say that they don't know, but it's mm-hmm. because this is new legislation. This is a new way of talking about mm-hmm. abuse. It's a new way of, of prosecuting. And I think that's really important, which is why we have that on the bill. And I mean, the yeah. Justice um, Sexual Offences Bill that we're currently working on as well has a number of recommendations from the Gillen Review. And hopefully... Um, in terms of, of court systems, court setup, and and being present and being in front of your you know perpetrators and, and victims and looking at that, um, hopefully that will also change and and help the perception around courts and and and, and take that kind of it's it's very scary. Yeah, I've never been in court before. I wouldn't even <laughs> want to know what that that is like for mm-hmm. a victim trying to face you know at, or for anybody really. Yeah. Um, I also think we need to um just a wee bit more of a public awareness as sure. well do you know and I think I know that the department are looking at that as well but you know if we can if we can train and um, train those that are involved in prosecuting say or investigating this new offence um, and we can um, teach children and young people um, what a healthy relationship is and we start breaking down those walls that exist on reporting mm-hmm. of it's okay to report you will be taken seriously and you will have somebody with you you can throughout the, throughout whole, throughout process, the whole process from start to finish Absolutely. and a plan in place for afterwards exactly and yeah. you can have someone to speak to that women's aid are going to be there or the men's advisory project or that you can speak to nexus or there's somebody there to answer the phone and support mm-hmm. you through it who will be able to and i think that that culture being believed yeah. um, is something that's really really important to me being believed and dispelling the myths mm-hmm. that are still in existence and still very prevalent around mm-hmm. sexual violence and domestic abuse um you know I know I know in the, the Republic the Department of Justice had rolled out a campaign on bysta- bystander intervention which you've touched on there about the public awareness so that's really important so for this to work or to improve things it's really a multi-faceted approach isn't it? Everybody hands on and it's all of our responsibility to ensure that people feel safe. Absolutely that means it's very difficult. <laughs> it is very difficult there's so many angles to it but as you said other countries and, and Scotland they've done this they've already put the wheels in motion so there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing that here and it's people like yourselves and organizations like women's aid and the many many survivor supports um agencies there who are pushing this forward and of course survivors themselves who are at hopefully at the center of all of this when it comes to you know the research and putting policy in place they certainly are for me anyway Mm -hmm. you know and i think it was um it was the committee engaged uh, you know as a whole with a lot of um victims who who were so brave in coming forward and telling us their stories, either in writing or in, in person in, in informal meetings. And I was contacted a lot through this, uh, working on this bill by a lot of a lot of people and a lot of victims. And I mean, I just can't believe what certain people were going, mm-hmm. you know, what people were going through. And I think it was um, very reflective of how victims were put at the centre of this is because so many MLAs during their speeches in the chamber were were outlining people's actual experiences mm-hmm. and I you know I've only been around in the in the assembly for a couple of years but 
I'd never seen that before and to be to be standing there talking about a constituent or somebody that's contacted you and their real life story yeah. and seeing that reflected in legislation I think that speaks to a lot of people yeah. absolutely and it's it's the only way forward I guess and um, with any I know there, there's the, the abuse at the panel looking into um you know historical abuse as well or really lending on the the real true lived experiences from victims and survivors yeah and I see as well an announcement that came out from the PSNI as well that they're they've provided training to I think 4,000 people so far in the PSNI and then they're looking to provide yeah. even more training as well so it's not just the judges and the, the lawyers also the police as well to notice yeah. I think th- they were talking about the unseen crimes for them to notice them which is important as well and even for the banks and hairdressers and mm-hmm. I know Women's Aid have been really behind that if you've noticed anything and, and kind of spotting the signs of somebody who could be potentially you know, under a, a level of control that would meet the offence you know what I mean so um, there's, there's lots happening but I guess we're still missing quite a few um, important factors here especially perhaps a strategy a really robust strategy um, on violence against women and girls Absolutely. where does does that sit or is oh, that something that, that has been something I so I tried to amend the domestic abuse bill to get that on now mm-hmm. unfortunately it didn't meet scope so there were, we did, we've tried we tried last year and we'll, we'll keep pushing and it was unfortunate very very unfortunate that the uh, murderer Sarah Everard mm-hmm. um, really brought this into focus um, but we've had 12 I think 12 women in Northern Ireland killed in the last year 12 you know, women in Northern Ireland I killed. believe no, I don't quote yeah. me on that no, but, but I even believe it is 12 the f- Yes, yeah. but that's behind every every one of those is a family, and oh. it's tra- it's, it's tra- absolutely traumatizing. Um, so, I, unfortunately, that did um, it did raise the profile though of of the need and uh, for a violence against women and girls strategy in Northern Ireland. We're the only part of the UK and the Republic of Ireland that doesn't have one. Shocking. Yeah. Um, so it it certainly was something that um, I wanted to raise. Um, something that was important to the Green Party as well. Um, but we were couldn't couldn't get it on the face of the bill, but. The um, the need for it is clear, and the executive office um, are to take that forward. And I believe that they are in development of a violence against women and girls strategy. But it's been a long time coming, yeah. um, and I I just don't think that there's any excuse um, not to have one. Um, but I do have concern that the reason that we don't have one um, up until now is because um, we have been looking through a sort of uh, trying not to have a gendered focus. Yeah. Um, which I believe to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the domestic abuse uh, offence is not gendered. It's oh, it it doesn't recognise um, victim, and rightfully so as well. The law um, is is the way it is for a reason, but um, we still need to have a specific. Strategy, strategy to deal with yeah. violence against women and girls um, and that doesn't mean that violence doesn't happen against men and boys it does but mm-hmm. we need to call a spade a spade we need to it's look at the so reality much more of prevalent. It. it's male yeah. violence that's against that's males issue. and fe- it doesn't yes. matter yeah exactly so it's we need really need to look at this and and i don't see this as being any you know there's there's nothing against section 75 or anything like that i know there is a, a sort of uh, hesitancy to get involved um certainly in the conversations that I've had over the last um, year and a half. But I think um, 
unfortunately, um, the the high profile murder mm-hmm. um, and the continuing um, sort of harassment um, and threats made against women have put this into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And I really, really encourage the executive to yeah. take this forward as soon as as possible. soon as possible. It's so urgent. And then, I, I guess, in a wider context, we're really dragging our heels in terms of Istanbul, the Istanbul Conven- mm-hmm. Convention, of course, and its ratification within the UK. Is that ever going to go anywhere or I mean is it just 10 years 10 yeah. years 10 yeah. years was 10 it years. this this year or? May, May this year was May this year it's going to be I think 10 years yeah I think it was the UK so the UK it's this West with Westminster uh, mm, that signs yeah. into the Istanbul right, Convention yeah. um, but it hasn't ratified the treaty so um, what we've been doing through the um, through, through the various bills that are coming in front of the Justice Committee is looking at that well how can we put that into our domestic yeah. law um, I feel like we'll be waiting forever for, for Westminster to, so you have to, to Exactly. So we have to do Go what ahead. we can. Yep. Obviously, there are issues that we cannot legislate for in Northern Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. We can only legislate on certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can legislate on, and we did legislate on, sort of extraterritorial jurisdiction mm-hmm. issues. So in the domestic abuse bill, it's the same as the Stocking Bill. Um, if, a, if, a, if domestic abuse is committed elsewhere that can be prosecuted mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland. So it covers the likes of if you're on holiday, say, or maybe on your honeymoon, mm-hmm. for example. And there's some of those things that you would never even think about. Like, obviously, when you're thinking about domestic abuse, you think within Northern Ireland, but how that's so important that if something happens, say, on a holiday that you're away for two weeks, that if something does happen, they can be prosecuted within Northern Ireland. Like, that's so important. And it's also the things, though, that we can't legislate on, um, unfortunately, which is the, you know, protection of migrants and refugees. That falls under uh, Istanbul and Article 4 and in resident status, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also, there's some issues then with criminalisation and psychological violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't, we don't have any powers over immigration uh, matters, and we're, you know, that's reserved to the Home Office. Um, but certainly we, like, I was trying to try and push for more resources and more focus to be on um, the abuse that happens in migrant communities um, and because that is that is on her it's not heard it's yeah. not being brought forward um, there are difficulties in resident status um, and people who are coming forward um, to have recourse to public funds sure. which we can't legislate on it, it's so common it's yeah a real problem so we've a lot to do um, there is a huge gap um, I would Absolutely encourage the Westminster government to sign all this. We all would. I think think there was actually a proposal for protection of uh, migrant women, no matter what their immigration status was, and it was pushed back. So kind of it highlights what the Westminster and the Home Office's mindset is: protection of immigration status or protection of women and that was put at the forefront was the immigration yeah. status first. I mean there's so much fear within those communities and as you said they're the people who are unheard. We mm-hmm. don't know what's happening so to bring that to the fore is really really important but again a strategy, a robust strategy should be able to address a lot of these issues and then of course we've come across these well, they're not new terms or what can constitute an offence um, I hate the phrase revenge porn, um, you know, that, that's being bandied about. Uh, it's, you know, the, the sharing of intimate images and also um, how things like coercion can be seen as a form of domestic ab- abuse as well. So these are terms that are coming and it's great, you know, that these are at the fore of discussions around, you know, including them as part of. So it's not just the traditional, you know, assault. And uh, it, these are very important. And I suppose, you know, with 
the growth in the use of social media, et cetera, et cetera, these problems are becoming a reality more and more. So is this something that's featured, you know, in, in covered by the terms under the, the offence? Yeah, so in terms of course of control, that that's what the Domestic Abuse Act is. Mm-hmm. It is it is criminalising course of control. Yeah. Um, and obviously if you're meeting the, the criteria that's set out. But in terms of revenge porn specifically, um, we've heard a lot from victims when we've been um, scrutinising the stalking bill. Mm-hmm. Um, not only had they had experiences of stalking or domestic abuse, um, but they were also victims of revenge porn. A lot of them, um, and public shaming and mm-hmm. discreditation, um, especially on social media and use of messaging services mm-hmm. um, and apps, and knowing or unknowing to them, and uh, at the time, or else they found out after, or have been, you know, it's been out in the public, and yeah. they can't, uh, they can't control it. And that, that is, that is awful. It's mm-hmm. absolutely awful. Um, and it's something that's being covered in the justice bill that we're looking at at okay. the moment. Um, I'll be delving into the detail more in terms of the, the specific um, lines and the spef- specific offences. The justice bill covers a lot of things um, and the department are coming forward with another rake of amendments at consideration stage. So after the, the committee has done its deliberation and it will... Um, hopefully deal with uh, some of the gaps in our laws here it, because I believe that um, sort of sharing intimate images uh, with, you know, obviously without the consent of the, the person that they are, I mean, that's not really covered here um, yeah. because there, it doesn't include the threat of publication. Okay. So that is, for me, an element of control because mm-hmm. if you're threatening somebody with, I'm going to share this, Absolutely. if you don't do X, Y, and Z, there's there's an example that would be covered um well, I could argue, try and argue anyway. That it could be, that co- could yeah. be covered. Um, but I w- it would be my understanding that that's covered. But um, in terms of telecommunications legislation, those are reserve matters. And um, we can't legislate in the Northern Ireland right. Assembly on them. So we're we're coming up against this in the stocking bill of whether or not you know, stock, can stocking can be include, conducted yeah. online or on, on social media um, and how this fits in. But um, it's very, very difficult to bring in within the lines and scope that we have. Um, but police are in a hard situation then to investigate because if they can't investigate or, or they are limited, um, say, with the Malicious Communications Act or under the stocking bill or domestic abuse, they can only go on the... Their on hands the, are tied. Their hands yeah. are tied. Absolutely. And it's the same yeah. then eventually getting a, if they it's can a get problem. a prosecution. Yeah. But I think you can get down a rabbit hole with these things, um, yeah. and then you go, oh, wh- "What is an intimate image? You know, what does this constitute? You know, whether yeah. or not it was, um, you know, does that constitute in terms of domestic abuse? Is it going to be able to prosecute it under the justice bill? But we shouldn't be letting the perfect be the enemy of the good here. Do you know, we need yeah. we need to have that covered, the threat of publication, um, ex- explicitly, because I Absolutely. think that is something that is increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it, um, but again. This is going to impact a lot of people, which is why we need mandatory and comprehensive relationship and sexuality yeah. education in education. our schools. You know, it starts from that. It yeah. starts from Because reading through the sections of the act that's coming in February uh, before coming on the podcast, and I think it's so important that people need to be educated on what it, what actions are included as a course of control and then also the different relationships. So it, it talks about it has to be a close intimate relationship and what those is as well so I think people need to be educated on those actions because it talks about it includes maybe five or six different actions that could be seen as course of control 
but not, I don't think many people would understand that a lot yeah. of them are actually coercive control. Absolutely. It's pe- people understanding behaviour. It might not be malicious, it might not be deliberate, but also understanding how behaviour affects other people. Mm-hmm. So, and particularly if we're going to be legislating about the threat of publication, you know, and there's there's a huge body of work to be done with young people, um, as well as, as people who are over 18, but... Um, You've got you've got that that behavioural change needs to happen, and I always bring it back to to RSE and mm-hmm. and that what we what we have is acceptable behaviour and what is not a healthy yeah, relationship, and it's, and it's what it's not okay to say to someone. Yeah. It's not okay to threaten. I'm going to show or circulate these images. Mm-hmm. Um, so there needs to be a big body of work done on that one. Absolutely. But um, yeah, there's a lot that mm-hmm. there's a lot that we can do. Um, and the stocking bill is going to be the one that we're we're coming to the end of the committee stage. Um, before the the justice bill, but we're working on them at the same time. So there's a lot of provisions in there that um, we can look at to try and strengthen and make explicit to try and deal with these issues. Fantastic. So it definitely is working alongside changing the culture, I mm-hmm. think, in general too. So that is fantastic. And we're really looking forward to seeing um, the developments around that. We'll watch, keep a close eye on that. And it's just, it's great that things are moving forward. But as you said, there's a whole body of work that needs to be put in place. Um, so just back to, to you yourself, um, yeah, so obviously in previous podcast we had Aoife Clements on mm-hmm. 5050 NI and I know that you're on the board of 5050 yes, NI. Yeah. So she talked about um, involving more women in politics and specifically in Northern Ireland. So you're obviously uh. in politics. So if you could give your experience any, we spoke about in the last podcast about barriers that women faced about entering into politics. So if you could give just a wee insight into your experiences, any barriers and any tips for young girls or women that want to enter into Northern Ireland politics. I think politics. Don't do it. I think politics and Northern Ireland politics is two totally different things. Like well, Northern it, is, Ireland. it is. No, definitely. I mean, as I said before, I didn't see this uh, as my career path. Mm-hmm. This was not something I set out to do. I wanted to do my own restaurant and cook in it. You oh. know, that's 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 what I wanted to do or own my own bar that's what I've done all my life but um, I don't know what's more <laughs> like know, rushed off your feet yeah chef or <laughs> NA um, um, probably chef actually <laughs> um, I think there's been some studies on that but um, no the, the my sort of being a, being a female in politics um, like there's so many barriers um, in your own head Okay. And there's so many, there there are societal barriers, you know, and if you have, you know, if you've got children or if you're looking after family, if you're caring responsibilities, that does traditionally fall to women in our society. That's a wider issue. We could talk about that for, for hours. Um, so that is it. That's practical things. You know, do I have time for this? Am I going to be um, able to, to balance work-life balance? I find that personally very difficult. Mm. Um, but... For me, um, I haven't had a lot of the experiences that I know other female MLAs have, um, but I did certainly whenever I was on council um, and dealing with sort of a male-dominated um, council, male-dominated society where you're, you're, the expectations on you as a woman in politics are a wee bit different. Um, and in terms of um, facing a bit of misogyny or bullying and harassment, uh, there was a, a survey done, I think it was Suzanne Breen did it a, while, a couple of months ago, and of some MLAs in the Assembly, female MLAs, and 70% of us had faced bullying and harassment. That's it's extraordinary and then we had a debate on International Women's Day and we all said the same thing despite all our political differences we all had the same stories Mm. Um, so that just shows you 
but it is it is completely widespread and again something that we need to challenge and we are challenging um, but there for me there was issues like people expecting you to go into their house for meetings rather than a phone call um, and a phone in at inappropriate times that you get that all the time but it's it, you're, you're supposed to, you're expected just to be there yeah. you're working mm-hmm. 24 hours a day um, social media is a cesspit oh. sometimes. It is horrible. And I don't get it as bad as some yeah. do because I, I think maybe I don't react as much, but mm-hmm. also I'm I've only been in for a couple of years, so I don't mm-hmm. I'm not you know on backbench MLA, so I'm not gonna be as high profile. Um but certainly I have fa- faced that those sort of challenges, especially in council, as I say, with you know, if I was a the only female at a meeting it would be over your hair is you know the token the female token. or you're here to, and it has been said to me wow. you know um you're only here to make the coffee or put the kettle on you're kidding that's that's generally what's happened and that's in front of very senior people and it's embarrassing mm-hmm. um and then just because I think a lot of people knew my background in hospitality so I go oh, sure you go make the tea because you would be better oh at it goodness. than me you know that kind of thing and it's Whenever you do challenge it, it's then, oh, I'm sorry if that offended you. Mm-hmm. It's like, or it's your saying, problem. No, it's not mm-hmm. my problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's yours. Yeah. So, but certainly my experience in the assembly has been definitely better than on council. But I mean, like, you get touched inappropriately, you get spoken to inappropriately. And this is uh, up until again, very recently, was an accepted part of the course. Is that wow. okay? Um, but I mean, when it, you're saying about Aoife, you know, 50-50 are doing a great job yeah, and, she and she's asked me to be on the board and I'm really, really privileged to be on that recently. It's really good to see that challenges are coming. It's and needed, people, yeah. It's absolutely needed. And we need to challenge it as well. Do you know, we're not doing a very good job. There's another whole culture that needs, whole culture. needs changed. We, ha- we accept this behaviour mm-hmm. and I remember being interviewed and it's like, why didn't you call this out at the time? It's because I was scared. Mm-hmm. And see, looking back on it now, I'm like, why did I not say that's my job? I know, but my job. I know, come on. And you just don't at the time. You know, it really affected me. But other, like at the time, other people did call it out and I was so glad for it. Mm -hmm. But I would never let that stop anybody like coming forward like my biggest barrier is my my head and my self-doubt and my imposter syndrome mm-hmm. like I don't deserve to be here I shouldn't yeah. be here that I find a lot that's across the board but I that's a specific barrier for me um but I would if any any woman anyone wants to get involved in politics do it like it is so rewarding um I would start off at in your local community if you're involved in a community organisation, you're involved in a group and there's something wrong, call it out. Mm-hmm. Come and speak to your local MLAs. Come and speak to your councillors. Go and speak to your MP. If you want to start being an activist, go and do it. It is so rewarding. We have so many barriers to things in Northern Ireland, but there's not there is no barriers, uh, certainly to calling stuff out we clearly don't have a problem yeah. with with having it <laughs> you know making our voices heard so do it um i as i say never expected to be in this role but i i love my job it is a privilege to be sitting here you can tell to that you, you do you're, you're so passionate <laughs> about it <laughs> there's so many problems there's so many things yeah. that we need to figure that we need to fix but if you have a passion for something go and do it and i i am not regretted it at all 
at like and there's not a one day that I turn around and go I wish I'd never got involved in this because yeah. it's brilliant and, and you can so see action happening yeah. which is fantastic and that kind of answers our, our last question which is about activism itself which I think you've, you've really covered in terms of how important it is you know to become an activist or to to, to be involved mm-hmm. in something that you're passionate about definitely and there's so many like I you know so many different issues so many different groups there's so many people doing really really good work but if you have a passion for something, you know, it could be on a social issue, it could be on welfare reform, it could be on housing, it could be on if you're annoyed about, um, which I am, I'm annoyed about um, the use of chemicals on roadsides mm-hmm. you know, to, to, for weed killer because it's ruining our environment, right? Mm-hmm. So get involved, start shouting about that. Mm-hmm. You can, there's always somebody else. That you can go, yeah. and even if it is just a, you know, an activist campaign, signing an email to go and contact your elected rep, that's something because everyone is busy and everyone has got like a lot on, especially in the last couple of years. We've so, shown just the pressures of daily life. And not everybody has time to go and volunteer at a group or volunteer with a society or an organisation. But just it, like just if you, you can make your voice heard and add in and have a wee, have a wee look at what's going on mm-hmm. in your local area, mm-hmm. in your council, at your assembly, come and engage with your MLIs, ask them what they're doing. Because yeah. that's what we're here for. It doesn't matter what age, I, you know, it, younger the better. I'll come. I'll I'll talk to anybody. I spent the summer <laughs> working with the youth centre in my constituency, and it was brilliant. Fantastic. We weren't having big, deep, meaningful chats about what was going on in the I assembly. Know, but we're that's talking where about politics. Yeah. That's, that's where what it, it starts. Is. Yeah. yeah. Look, that is absolutely fantastic. It has been such a pleasure. Been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It really has. Thank you so much. And we will definitely be following all of these developments and we'd love to have you back again. I would soon. love to come back. And you may have me back whenever my bill comes in. Yeah. So we'll yeah. celebrate in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks thank you. a million. Thanks.